Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome back to Apply Filters, episode 42. Today, Brad and I have got a few things to discuss, some recent things that we've been working on, uh, recent trips, upcoming trips, conferences, etc. We want to have a discussion about some of the changes to the taxonomy term splitting that that happened in WordPress 4.2 and some more that's happened in WordPress 4.3. However, before we get started, let's hear from a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by DreamHost and their new managed WordPress hosting platform, DreamPress 2. I wanted to learn more about DreamPress 2, so I reached out to someone over at DreamHost who you may be already familiar with. I'm Mike Schroeder, and I'm the WordPress platform lead at DreamHost. And I work both on developing products for or around WordPress, like DreamPress. And they also donate about half of my time to work on WordPress core and other related community projects. I asked Mike about DreamPress 2 and how it's different than other managed WordPress hosting platforms. One thing that makes it a little bit different is that we give you two separate virtual machines that just belong to you, both the web VPS and also a MySQL VPS. And that web VPS will automatically scale its resources for the RAM utilization needs that you have. So hang on, so there's a web VPS and what's, what's the other one? MySQL. Yeah, there's a separate VPS just for your, just for your uh, MySQL. Wow. And it has, well, you know, MySQL, MySQL grade hardware that's specifically for, that's engineered to work well with MySQL. And um, that goes along as a companion to your, to your web VPS. So those resources aren't shared between those two. And they're not shared with any other customers or anything. They're your VPSs. That's correct. And you get a set of those. You get a set of those for each of your sites. Oh, wow. For each you site. Set up. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. So if you add two domains, you have four VPSs. So there you have it, folks. You get two dedicated VPSs for each site on DreamPress 2. For more information, check out dreamhost.com slash applyfilters. Now back to our show. Okay, just before we start getting into what we've been up to, uh, I'd like to read an iTunes review, a really cool one that I found when I was browsing through them. Uh, This one's from McDonough, and it goes, I've been programming since 1980 and developing custom WordPress sites since 2009, and still I learn something from every episode of Apply Filters. Brad and Pippin clearly know what they're talking about, and they share experiences with tools, plugin development, coding standards, and the business of WordPress. There's enough banter to keep the show lively, but they don't waste your time going down personal rat holes. I especially appreciate that they post references on their website. Wow, that's awesome. Um, Pretty cool, right? Yeah, it's great. It's also, uh, I like it because it it's really, it's exactly what we're trying to do. And so to hear that we're succeeding, at least in, to some degree or other, is, is encouraging. Yeah, for sure. So what have you been up to, man? Uh, the last couple of weeks have been really working on um, a couple of big changes in easy digital downloads for our upcoming ver- version. Uh, we're working on version 2.4, which is slated to be released around the end of June. So here within the next three weeks or so. Uh, and we've got several major changes coming to our so major improvements, uh, was, as well as a bunch of little things. Uh, but I want to talk about three of the distinct changes that we're making because they presented really interesting challenges. Well, two of them presented inter- interesting challenges. So the first one is 
we introduced uh, a change to our REST API. So EDD includes a, a simple REST API that allows you to retrieve product data, sales data, customer data, coupon data, and a few other things. Uh, it is it is a read-only API right now, but it still allows you to consume information. It allow, It's what powers our mobile apps. So we have an Android and we have an iOS app that allow you to see sales and customer data on your phone or your iPad. We also have some other apps. We have uh, like a reporting app for the iPad. It hooks into the program called Status Board from the company Panic. And then we have a bunch of other, other plugins, widgets, et cetera, that tie into the API to display like product feeds, for example, on other websites, kind of like you would parse an RSS feed. So we have all of these things that interact with our, our API. The API has become a very, very important part of the plugin. It is, it is foundational to a lot of the stuff that we do. Well, we realized a major problem with it. So we had a couple of improvements that we wanted to make. Uh, it started with a very simple change that we wanted to add to improve the, the data that's available in the API for coupons. Uh, related to a payment. So if you go and retrieve sales data, it will tell you any coupons, or we, we call them discount codes, that were applied to that order. But what it doesn't show is it doesn't show the amounts that were applied for each coupon. So it doesn't say this coupon gave $5 off, this one gave $10 off, this one gave, et cetera. And so we wanted to make that change. We realized, however, that we actually couldn't make that change, even though it was a really, really simple change, because it would break anybody's device or application that was reading that data in the previous way, because we're changing the data format. And so we realized that we can't make these kind of changes to our API because we don't currently have API versioning. For anyone that's done a, a lot of work with ser APIs from services like Stripe or PayPal, or really anybody who has an extensive REST API, you're probably familiar with the idea of API versioning, where you can have version one of an API, you can have version two, version three, version four. And as the API changes, new versions are released, but the old versions stay available and the data format that's returned, the structure doesn't change. Well, we realized that we didn't have a way to do that. We didn't have this concept of API versioning. We simply had the API. And however we chose to return the data is what everybody got no matter whether you started using it two years ago or yesterday. And that was a problem. Right. I'm familiar with like APIs being retired too, because that happens sometimes. Sure. You, you know, like retired versions of them. Yeah. Twitter, Twitter has retired old versions of its yeah. API. And MailChimp. Broke, broken uh, things. <laughs> MailChimp is getting ready to retire version two of their API because they've introduced version three. Right. And so is version two just not going to work anymore? You would like to have a new version of it. Well, so we, we realize that we have to have API versioning if we really want to progress our API. At some point, we want to add the ability to have a write API as well and not only a read. And when we do that, we're going to have to introduce a new version of the API. A lot of things are going to have to change. And so we went ahead and tackled the problem. And we said, let's introduce API versioning. But we can't break anything. Nothing can break for existing people. So everybody that's currently using the API, they're using version 1. And when we upgrade, we're going to introduce version two. But version two is only going to be used by people that install the plugin after version two was introduced. We had to do that, but it also got a little complicated because we had to do things like we had to parse the URLs and see whether or not a version was supplied. If they didn't supply a version, okay, let's go figure out what version we need to show them based on whether they installed the plugin before or after versioning was introduced. All of these different things were challenging, but really fun. It's one of my favorite changes I've made 
to the code base in the last probably six months or more. What, what's satisfying about it? Satisfying is taking a problem, spending a lot of time talking about how to do it, the best way to do it. We ended up ha- sitting down as a team and having a couple of conversations, just like Google Hangouts, saying, okay, look, what are our, what are our options? We could, we could version the entire API. We could add revisions to endpoints. We could do this. We could not do this. We could just break everything. Just having all of these different discussions about what are the consequences? What do we want to do? What are we going to strive to do? That was the most challenging. Writing the code itself was not that difficult, but it was figuring out the approach to take. That's the big thing that I've been doing recently. And then not to take up too much more time, but I had two other things that we're pretty excited for. We're introducing Amazon Payments for easy digital downloads. We're introducing it as a gateway that's included with the core plugin. So everybody gets it. How much did Amazon pay you to do that? <laughs> we did actually have sponsored development from Amazon. Oh, nice. Uh, which was nice. But it also meant the big advantage to having a sponsored development from them was that we actually get a contact from Amazon to work with. So if we have any problems, we get to work with them. They they work with us to make sure that the implementation is solid, that it matches their standards, et cetera. And so when this rolls out, it's going to be really solid. Cool. Did you solicit them or did they come to you? about? They reached out to us. Oh, cool. uh, but we had actually been planning on doing it for a while. It just hadn't happened yet. Right. And then, you know, they're going to sponsor your development. So, hey, what, what? no better time like the present. Yeah. And it also gave us a good reason to put it into the core plugin as opposed to making it a paid add-on, uh, which I'm excited for. It It's going to make it so instead of everyone just having PayPal by default, now you're going to have two options, PayPal or Amazon. Also, Amazon, as as a merchant, as a host, as a payment processor, are really globally trusted really well. And so it's going to be a great option for just about anybody that wants to set up a store. And then the last thing was batch CSV exporting. Our export options in EDD have had problems for a while because they, they did everything in a single process. So if you wanted to go export customers, it just did one big query, translated that query into a CSV and said, good luck. Pretty much. <laughs> so if you have 20,000 customers and you try to export it, it failed. And so for EDD 2.4, we've introduced batch processing. And so now you can export 20,000 customers, 100,000 customers, and it all works. That was a kind of fun project to work on. So was it failing because of timeouts, I'm guessing? Right. Yeah. Right. Because if you try to do everything in one process, you may be able to query that much data from the database, but then to loop through every single one, add it to a CSV, and then download that CSV, it takes time. Uh, It takes memory. It takes processing power. And while my host, Pagely, who I have a nice VPS through, could handle it just fine, a lot of people would would have issues. If they're on a shared host from from HostGator or Bluehost or even pretty decent host, if you get enough data in there, it's going to start failing. Yeah. I mean, actually, a lot of the managed hosts have this problem because they use the PHP FBM and Nginx technology stack. There's no way really to tell that stack from PHP, like from from your batch exporter. There's no way to tell it, hey, I'm going to be taking a while here potentially, so don't time me out. <laughs> there's no way there's no way to tell it that. No, I, and that was a problem that we ran into a lot, like to the point that we actually had to add a, a description underneath the export option in the UI that says, by the way, if you have a lot of data, this might fail. <laughs> Sorry. Not much we can do for you. But so we've, we fixed this by adding batch processing. And it actually also 
uh, allowed us to do something really cool. Before, because we are limited by timeouts and things like that, we try to keep our export very simple. We try to just get just the data that we can easily access. And so we avoided doing complicated join queries or if we need to do multiple queries for each row, like those just weren't very good options because they took a lot more processing power to do that. But now because we're doing things in batch processing, we can get any data we want. We can build giant CSVs. We can build really advanced reports because when you're doing batch processing and everything's done via via Ajax, we're not going to run into those problems. And so if we need to do one line per batch, that's fine. We can do that. It ended up working out really, really well. Cool. Yeah. So that's enough about me. Brad, what have you been up to? A few weeks ago, I started coaching the local high school ultimate Frisbee. And so that's been taking up a crazy amount of my time. (laughs) You were a pretty serious ultimate Frisbee player yourself, right? Yeah, I still play. I played in a tournament last weekend, actually. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of getting too old to be playing at the highest levels now. So I'm kind of in the old guys division now. Um, But it's uh, it's still fun. I still still like to play. So I'll be going to nationals uh, this year in in Canada. Congrats. Out in Winnipeg at some point. Um, It's it's funny to, to hear that you guys have ultimate Frisbee leagues just where I am. Ultimate Frisbee exists, but it's more of a bunch of friends got together and we played in a, in a field. There's no organized Frisbee here. Really? None. I bet you there is, and you just don't know about it. If I, if I go over to Kansas City, which is about three and a half hours from here, yeah. um, a large metropolitan area, then there are some, but not right. where I live. Right, right. Okay, yeah, gotcha. I was going to say, like, <laughs> I just definitely... No, there's definitely, there is some in the U.S., Yeah, but I think it's, it's a lot more probably on the coast yeah yeah for sure but uh anyway i i wasn't i didn't really think ahead of like how long it was going to take me to coach these these kids and it was you know each practice is two hours so two hours twice a week four hours a week and this is during work time right like after school till five o'clock so i'm just like it's just eating my time and it's like oh man it's a good thing it's it's over like school's almost over right so it's it's going to be done soon but uh, it's just funny, like I, I hadn't planned to give up that much of my time. <laughs> and uh, so I'm glad. It's yeah, but be... I'm sure it's worth it in so many ways. And not, yeah. not just like getting out there and playing and, and, and coaching, but I bet it also helps your work side of things in terms of it makes the time that you are working more, uh, more valuable and more focused. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been real focused in the last few weeks for sure because I can't afford to waste any time. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's been all right, and it's going to be done soon. So it's all good. Well, very cool. I've also been working on the Amazon S3 and CloudFront, uh, or now we're calling it WP Offload S3. Uh, that the site for that I've been working on. Right. So that's going to its own standalone site, right? It's not part of Delicious Brains. Oh, it is. It'll be under deliciousbrains.com/slash WP Offload S3. Um, right. But so it's like a site within a site. Yeah, it's like a little microsite of of the the umbrella site, I guess. But it's funny, like I, we started tracking our time a few weeks ago and using Toggle. I don't know if you've ever used that. Yeah, it's pretty, I used to use Toggle. Uh, it was the time tracker I used when I was doing contract development. Yeah, it, and I haven't tracked time since then either, so it's been a couple of years. It's really cool, the record timeline feature where you just, you have this little desktop app that, and you enable this record timeline and it records what apps you're using. So if you forget to turn on your timer, 
you can go back and see like, oh, I was using my web browser and I was using it in GitHub. So I guess I was reviewing issues or something. That's awesome. That I always found that was one of the biggest issues with time tracking outside of like tracking for just contract projects is that I would forget to track or I would get distracted. And so then I realized that I spent an hour on this, but I really spent 30 minutes browsing Reddit. Yeah. Or you, or you like, you've got a timer running and then you do start doing something else and you forget to change it. And you're like, right. when did I actually start doing something else? <laughs> you have no yeah. idea. Well, now you can actually look back on your timeline. It's uh, super really cool. cool. Super cool. And uh, it's kind of given, like renewed my faith in time tracking because I found that was a huge problem. You, you mentioned this now, I think over the last couple episodes that you guys were looking at doing time tracking and starting it. What's your overall goal with it? Is it just to get it a better idea of what everyone is working on or are you are you trying to refine processes? Uh, it's it's the former. So I just wanted to know like how much time everyone spends on support and how much time you know people uh, our guys are are spending writing their articles for our blog or you know I just want a, more insight into how much time is being spent in the aggregate on certain things, and then I can decide in the future maybe it was worth to hire a support person, a dedicated support person now, you know, because we're spending 40 hours a week on, on support or something, you know? So those kinds of things are pretty valuable. And I've also noticed that it's just, for me personally, it's been really good to keep me on task because, you know, when you go to, you know, browse Reddit for half an hour, that doesn't get tracked, right? Like that's, your timer's not running because you're screwing around. Right, and so it kind of keeps you on task a little bit better. I've found so uh, I'm, I'm noticing an improvement there. But it's funny, I was going through like my time that I've tracked for the last couple weeks for this podcast. I just wanted to know what I was working on, and I'm like, holy crap, I'm a project manager now. Like I don't spend much time doing any coding. Like I've been working on the site a little bit, but like the that's about it. Everything else has been just managing the team, managing the project, and and yeah, just it's interesting when that realization hits you. Yeah, I, I've kind of I kind of knew, but I, I was kind of in denial. I think. Yep. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, totally still I, a developer. <laughs> I think I realized that, or started to maybe six, three to six months ago, and it just kind of hit me. And in ways, it made me sad. In other ways, it was really validating because when you realize that you've stepped into that role, it means that you've you've done something cool. You've got there's other people working with you to for for a bigger vision than just what you personally want to work on. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also made me realize that maybe it's time to start looking for a project manager to take over some of these tasks from me, and so that I can do things that maybe. I'm better yeah. suited to do, Definitely. right? You know, so I mean, that's another. Or it might show you that you are the project manager, and you need to find someone to take over the other stuff that you were doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So could be either way. This is, I mean, this is all byproducts of t- tracking time. So I've I've found it to be really good exercise. Um, and do I you think, think it's something continue. that you will continue to do? Yeah. Or will you stop tracking it after you've kind of figured out what percentages of t- your time is spent where? I think it's good to just keep doing it because, you know, keeping yourself on task is, is good all the time, right? It will be good into the future. And then, you know, I think we can still use the data 
for making decisions in the future about other things. So I, I can't imagine why I would stop doing it at this point, unless the team like really hates it, you know, and it's like causing grief. <laughs> that that would, you know, that would be a reason to stop sure. it. But it always made me reluctant to to track time because I was always afraid that it was going to be a burden or a distraction on top of what I'm actually trying to do. In a, in a way, that's exactly what you're trying to to resolve by tracking time. You're trying to get yourself more focused. You're trying to see how much time you're actually spending working on the things that you need to be working on. It always made me wonder if it would be that distraction. It would be that extra thing that I have to do that's preventing me from getting my work done. Yeah. It is a little annoying when you have to switch. Like like if you if you switch between tasks a lot, it's a little annoying. But Really, should you be switching tasks? That I was just going to ask that. Do you think it makes you switch between tasks less rapidly? I think it does because I hate having to stop and start a new timer every time. So maybe, you know, sometimes I'll just, you know, say, no, I'm going to keep the timer going. I'm going to keep on with this task and then I'll go to the next one. So, you know, it, it, I think it has some definitely some positive impacts. But so I, I also realized looking at the, the time that I, I spent a lot of time planning the Miami trip. So we did a company meetup in Miami, just around WordCamp Miami. Uh, that was what, last week or the week before that? Yeah, it was uh, the week before last. Yeah, yeah. The end of uh, kind of the last week uh, in May. And, uh, and it was just so great to, to meet. So we all met for the first time. Not one of us had met another one in the team in person. And so that's, that's awesome. It was uh, it was almost overwhelming at at the and at how, the first. how many people are on the team now? Uh, there's five plus myself, so five full time plus myself, and it was a bit overwhelming just walking in the door and like having to meet because when I got there, there was a, already uh, four yeah four other guys there, <laughs> so I walked in the door with my wife and. And uh, and my my eight month old son and and I'm like shaking guys' hands for the first time and, and meeting their spouses and girlfriends and it's just like whoa this is crazy yeah nuts and uh, and the roof the roof is leaking uh, from the shower upstairs and oh no house issues yeah we it was, this was an Airbnb you rented right yeah it was an Airbnb in Miami Beach and uh, it was a villa that could accommodate like I don't know like said like 16 or something. But that was, you know, sharing beds and stuff. And it only had five bedrooms, but we had uh, really a need for six. So I rented out the uh, the pool house as well. But the pool house was pretty sketchy. And I ended up having to send one of the guys to a hotel for the duration of the stay. Oh, that's unfortunate. And so that was a, kind of a bummer. Um, but, you know, in the end, like... After, you know, the, the shower was leaking, the roof was leaking, the place was a little dirty. And, you know, there was a lot of, like, it wasn't as advertised. But in the end, like, we all had a great time and we enjoyed the pool outside and, and, and everything. So Yeah, you make it work. Exactly. Everyone. You, you're, you're there to, to hang out as a team, get to know each other, not to just spend time in a nice house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... It was a little bit of a bummer and and a little embarrassing for me because I you know I was the one who booked it and stuff sure. and and you know meeting for these people for the first time and the house isn't very good and you know so it was it wasn't ideal but you know we we persevered and and uh, figured it out so yeah 
that that was really cool to meet everyone and and uh and just enjoy the weather <laughs> for a while oh, yeah, but it was awesome the guys from the uk were just melting they, they're not used to that, that so let's heat. see you have what two from the uk one from new zealand and one from australia california and no, okay one from california yeah so so three from the uk one from new zealand but he's actually originally from the uk and one from california so it's uh the california guy was like eh, it's not that warm <laughs> <laughs> right southern california I yeah assume. long beach so he, he was he was fine and i was i love the heat so it didn't bother me at all but yeah the the other guys were were dealing were coping <laughs> but i think they enjoyed it nonetheless so what else, now that you've been back from miami and you've had a, a week or two to get back into things what's keeping you busy uh, well, we've, we're in the final stage of testing for uh, MigrateDB Pro uh, 1.5 and the multi-site tools add-on. So that should be out in the next couple of weeks. And uh, the free version will be out this week. It, it will have WPCLI integration. So you'll be able to run WP MigrateDB export. So you'll be able, you'll be able to export uh, your database with like things found and replaced as a file. Uh-huh. Beautiful. Without using UI. So all, all on the command line. So that'll be, we'll have docs and everything for that when we do it. Another thing that that been digging into a little bit is um, we've had an issue with SiteGround's staging site. Like, so they have a, like a staging platform or whatever. And the way it works is they do find and replaces on everything. <laughs> they, have a, they have a module in Apache that does find and replace on all output. So replacing the URL, the like the production site URL with a staging URL. And interesting. We, and we do and we return serialized data in in our uh, output. So it's breaking your serialized array. So, it, so it's been breaking that. So what we're going to do with that situation is that we're going to scramble our serialized data. So we're just going to we're going to use a function in PHP called rot 13, I think it is, mm-hmm. ROT13. I, I think I've used it once. Yeah, and it just, I think it just changes the letters, like 13, 13, uh, like it adds 13 to the ASCII code or something like that. And so it just changes all the letters. Is, is there a reason you guys used serialized data instead of JSON? Good question. Because JSON, if you had used JSON, you wouldn't have that problem, right? Absolutely. You're right. Although it, we would still have a problem with the URL changing, it, you know, if that actually caused a problem. Right, but it wouldn't break your it wouldn't break your data integrity. It wouldn't break the data. So the the problem with the JSON is that it's UTF-8 only. So if there's any data in those requests, right, that's not UTF-8, then it breaks, right? The JSON. I won't, always forget about that. Yeah, it won't. It won't even encode the JSON. I don't think. I think you'll just get an empty string back or something. Um, so yeah, you have to be careful of right. that. I, I'd love to be able to use JSON for that stuff because it would really save us a lot of headaches sure. that we have with serialized stuff. But anyways, maybe well, cool. we should move sure on. Those updates are going to be awesome. I know. I can't wait for them. We're getting ready to to use. Uh, MyRDB again for uh, our EDD site. We're pulling over to a staging site, and it was going to use that to update our staging from our live site. Can't nice, wait. Yeah. nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's let me on. know. Let so me know how got. that goes. 
Oh, yeah, I will, definitely. Yeah. I uh, expect it to work flawlessly. Cool. So do you want to introduce the this topic? Sure. All right. So a few months ago, around when WordPress 4.2 came out, I think we actually covered it before 4.2 came out, uh, we talked a little bit about the taxonomy term splitting that was happening in WordPress 4.2. And this has been an ongoing project for WordPress core from a long time ago. Yeah, uh, I think it was the original post Nason put out there was in 2013. Yeah, uh, it looks like July 2013. Yeah. Which is, um, I think that's pre 4.0 or just after 4.0. The taxonomy tables in WordPress have had a problem for a long time. Now, this problem is, is pretty much solved now, but it, it, was, it was a problem for a long time. And it was that it had shared taxonomy terms. What that really meant was that if you have two taxonomies, let's say genres and categories. And you have a term called book in both of those, or let's do something better. Let's, let's, assume, let's say that we're talking about music. And so you have a category of rock and you have a genre of rock. Both of those could actually be the same term in the WP terms table shared across both taxonomies. And this was, this was a problem. This right. was a major problem. Yeah. For, because if you update that, it then gets it gets in both taxonomies. Both taxonomies. Right. So, and that becomes a, pro- a real big problem if it's like, let's say uh, you had a taxonomy that was like uh, music jars and another one that was like textures and both had rock in it. And you updated one to rock and roll, <laughs> right? Then, then your texture would be called rock and roll, not rock, right? Um, so that's like an example where it would totally fail, right? Um, Another place where it was probably super prevalent were plugins that use maybe like private taxonomies, or they're they're share they're storing data in tax in a in a taxonomy, and the plugin goes and updates a term. Well, if you if that term, even though it's a more quote unquote private taxonomy, if that term existed in another taxonomy, you may be breaking that there. So this was a problem. It was a big problem. So in WordPress 4.1, the first step was done to, to resolve the problem. So there, uh, there's a column in the terms table, I believe, called term slug. And it's just a slug of the terms. So if, you're, if your genre was called book with a capital B, your slug would be book, all lowercase usually. Well, that used to have a unique on it. So you could not have two t- slugs that were the same. Instead, you would have books dash two, books dash three, books dash four, et cetera, if you ended up having multiple terms, um, or they would just be the same term. So in WordPress 4.1, the unique was removed, allowing us to have slugs with the same term, but different rows. This was a great improvement because it prevented terms, uh, shared terms from getting created in the future. Because previously, if you, cre- if you tried to create a term with a slug that already existed, it just used the ID from the existing term. Now this no longer happens because a term slug is no longer unique. Big improvement. Now in WordPress 4.2, they, the, the core developers tackle the problem of, well, how do we fix the existing data? So we've prevented this from happening to future data, but how do we go back and fix old, old data? Well, this is a two-step process. The first one is to 
this is this is where things get a little crazy. They had they had to change it so that if you update a term in one taxonomy, it doesn't affect the term in the other taxonomy. That change was introduced in WordPress 4.2. So now if you say WP update term, I think is the name, uh, the function, it would no longer affect both terms. And this was a pretty important change because it meant suddenly, well, it meant a couple of things. First, it meant that if you updated a term that was a shared term, what's going to happen is it's going to create a new term. So it's going to say, here's the old one. Let's make sure that term still exists. And now let's create a new one based upon the update that we've just made. Right. And so now we have two terms. Right. This causes a bit of a problem if you have another plugin or you have something else that is a, that is looking at that term and suddenly the term ID has changed. Right. Because you disconnect it. Or it, or it refer- references like the old term, which is right. the right one. <laughs> right. Yeah, which, which is a problem. Brad, why don't you walk us through what they did in 4.2 to help plugins here? And know that this is a problem that affects some pretty large plugins. Just to give a few names, Jetpack. WordPress SEO by Yoast, also Yoast's Google XML sitemaps, Ninja Forms, Advanced Custom Fields, Paid Memberships Pro, WordPress Download Manager. These are all plugins that are potentially affected by this. Yeah, it, the article that we'll link up in the show notes, it says that, who is M, at M Boynes? I don't even know who, who is that, do you know? Anyway, somebody, some developer, <laughs> scanned the top 100 uh, most popular plugins on .org and only found 11 that, that were vulnerable or, or had problems that needed to be dealt with uh, due to this change. So, that, you know, that's pretty good, 11 out of 100 of the top. But to, to, be, to be fair, 11 out of the 100 most popular include plugins that are installed on millions and millions of websites. Right, but I mean, that's... Right, it's not like a massive number of plugins, but so, it is a massive number of websites. Yeah, and those are those are very advanced plugins too. Those are very complex, mostly those plugins. And I don't think that's a coincidence, right? Like the the ones that are more complex are more likely to have this problem because they're doing a lot of things, and this just happens to be one of them. I don't think they did any like the WordPress core developers. I don't think they did anything special to mitigate the problem besides just letting these plugins know that. They need to update their code, there, right? There is one thing they did. Okay. So in this post that we'll link up, which is called Taxonomy Term Splitting 4.2, a developer guide. Uh, this is from Boone Gorges. Boone is one of the, the primary developers that worked on this entire uh, issue to improve it. They introduced a new action. So right now in 4.2, if you call WP update term, you change and it ends up splitting a term. So splitting a term simply means that there, there were two terms that were, sh- there was a shared term, you updated it, now there are two terms. We've split it in two so that they no, are no longer shared. Whenever that happens, there's an action that's fired. Oh, right. And it's called split shared term. Right. And so what they did is Boone showed an example of set to illustrate that if your plugin or a plugin does rely on terms like this and you run into an issue where splitting shared terms breaks some of your functionality because now your term ID is wrong, there's an action that you can use to update it at the time the term is split. And so the example that they gave actually came from Jetpack where Jetpack had a an option to like featured post is one of the, the modules in Jetpack. And so if you tagged or set a post as featured, that used a taxonomy. 
Well, that taxonomy could potentially have terms shared with another taxonomy, which could mean that you could then split that term. So anytime a term is split, Jetpack goes in and looks at it and says, hey, if the old term is, uh, is the term ID that we are using as fe- for featured content, or if it's identified as featured content, and it comes from the post tag taxonomy, let's go ahead and update our settings to make sure that we have the new term ID so that we don't lose our featured content. Right. Okay, so this is, this is a very long and intensive process, but mm-hmm. now that gets us to WordPress 4.2. Yeah, we are now, and these are just these are just baby steps, really, yeah, <laughs> for <yeah>. what's coming. <laughs> yeah, so this is where we are today. This is all really important changes that have been done, and I want to point out that like these are even though they're little changes, doing things like splitting terms and suddenly having two terms and having two term IDs could have had catastrophic consequences if not done really well. And if large developers like Yoast and Advanced Custom Fields, et cetera, were not notified ahead of time. As far as I'm aware, there was no massive damage caused by any of this anywhere. I, I've never seen a single example. It's not yet because it's only they're only splitting terms when a term is updated right now. Right. Which is, which right. Is but fairly... still, if you if you did have a plugin or there were sites where terms were updated all the time, you would see that issue. Yeah. I, I just don't I don't I've think... never heard it. Right. I don't think terms are updated very often. I think that's a Honestly, very I don't think they are either. Rare, rare event, right? I think that is a great example of doing this the really smart way of saying, hey, look, this is a major issue. Let's address it in small steps over time. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. it, and time is, is important because it gives developers time to become aware of it and, and act, Absolutely. right? So. And then when you do it in small steps, you get the option. Uh, you get to look and see, okay, so we're splitting terms now. Here's where we saw things fail or have trouble. Now we're doing, we saw that on a small scale. Let's address it now before we cause massive problems. So what are they doing in 4.3 now? 4.3 is, well, we're starting to work on it, right? Isn't that, it's, it's underway. Um, well, right. 4.3 is being worked on, but related to shared terms, what's happening there? Yeah. So the plan is to do a split so split all the shared terms when the upgrade happens. So when you upgrade to 4.3, it'll run a database or run some code and go through all your terms, find the ones that are shared and split those into as many extra rows as, as are needed so that you don't have any shared terms anymore. So, that, I mean, depending on the size of your database and how many terms you have and how many are shared, you know, this could take, you know, a long time, especially if you're running like a multi-site network site or, uh, you know, a network of networks, <laughs> which is a funny thing. But um, but it is a very real thing. Yeah. It it's is some, very... it's something I've never played with, but I keep meaning to just turn it on just to see what it's like. I've network. never done it. It's like Inception or something. Yeah, it really is. Can you actually, can you have a network of networks of networks? I don't know, man. I'm not That's... sure if it goes three levels or more. Maybe only those. That's crazy. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. So this is happening in 4.3, or at least I think, as far as we know, it's it's happening. That's well, the plan. they're plan they're planning to do it 4.3. There's a there's a post that Boone put out that says that's the plan. That's what we're doing. I uh, like the way that he put it. Plugin authors, dress rehearsal is nearly over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because once they do this, I mean, it'll really expose any issues. Right. Uh, because instead of just saying, "Hey, let's." 
updated when a term is updated. We're just going to fix them all immediately. Yeah. And so if somebody's if if a plugin hasn't added the split share term action and is not updating appropriately, it's going to break the plugin. Yeah, I think the biggest risk here is like sites that. Uh, you know, a developer built, like I built sites ages ago that are still running today, right? Like years ago, like three, four, five years ago, and they're still running as is today. And I don't even know if they're updating WordPress, the, the clients that I used to have or what. And, you know, those that my theme from back then, maybe it used a term ID here or there, you know, and maybe and maybe this upgrade will break it. So I could see there might be, you know, some of that happening when this when this upgrade goes through, uh, but I still think it'd be fairly rare, right? Like there won't there won't be that many instances, right? I think it's likely that we will will definitely see something break somewhere, but I don't think it's going to be that prevalent. It's not going to be. It will be a far less major of an issue than the uh, UTF eight M. What was it called? The uh, UTF-8 MB4. Yeah. MB4, there we go. Uh, yeah. That upgrade w- was far more significant in terms of problems it caused than this will be. It's still I causing think. problems. Because <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, that, that, that issue is, is a tricky one because it's tough to go backwards from that. So when you upgrade your site to UTF-8 MB4, it's hard to go backwards to back to UTF-8. And so if, you're, if, you're, you know, if your live site is running whatever it is, MySQL 553 or greater, uh, and it upgrades it, upgrades the database to UTF-8 MB4, and your staging site, for example, is running an older version of MySQL, then you're, you know, trouble. <laughs> that's that's going to be a problem. But it's interesting, like, this is just, again, baby steps. Even the, the 4.3 change will really be baby step. I think the the end goal is to get rid of one of those tables, right? Get rid of one of the term taxonomy tables. I believe they're going to get rid of the terms table and then take right. the columns from that table and put it into the term taxonomy table. According or, to Nason in his uh, the post that we mentioned from July 2013, that's the idea is to potentially drop WP terms. Right. And that's that's huge because you're, you're getting rid of a bunch of joins, right? You're taking uh, one join out of a lot of queries. So that's going to be... super cool. That's going to be... It, uh, for anybody who's not familiar with them, and this is something I only just started learning about recently, but the idea of... Okay, so let's step back for a second and think about this backwards compatible. We have a, we have a table. We have, we have our database and we have tables inside of it. And... This table is used everywhere. And so the people are talking about dropping the entire table. Your immediate response should be, well, you're going to break every single query calling WP terms. And like your head should explode. The cool thing is that there's actually a way to get around that by having what's called an SQL view. And it's really, really cool. And I love that idea that we can remove all of this data over here. And yet anybody who's trying to access it Oh, it still works just fine. Right. Yeah, exactly. It'll be interesting to see how they implement that or if they even go ahead with it because it was really just a proposal at this point. Right. Um, This is not set in stone. Yeah. Because I think, 
yeah, I can't remember what version of MySQL started to support views and and how well it is supported. It's probably it's probably been supported for quite a long time though. Yeah. I I would guess something. There's a there's a line in Nathan's blog post that I think is pretty cool. If you use a a view table, uh, and so you use a view and you get rid of WP terms, do you know how much code it takes to make WordPress run without that t- table? No, it's about twenty lines of code. To delete the like, remove the entire table, make everything work just fine. Right, right. Which is awesome. Yeah, that's cool. So, all right. So, there's a whole lot that's happened with this in baby steps, which I think is a really excellent way to go about it, both for WordPress core, but also for any plugin developer that's building large plugins, and not just plugins, but any any development any project that you've worked on. I think this is a really great example of how you can solve painful issues over time in in really smart manners. Aside from just making things better, like, do you think there's a, is there a bigger vision for this? Like what's the real reason all of this needs to happen? And I don't know if we have a lot of time to, to get into it, but maybe just give a, let's think about a couple of ideas. Like, what does this mean? Well, one of the things that Nason mentioned in his original roadmap was uh, how it, it could potentially, like the table, the relationship table could morph into or morph from a posts to taxonomy relationship to a object to object relationship table. And so you could have, you could build relationships between posts and users or because right now it's just posts and taxonomy, right? So posts and taxonomy, posts and users, posts and posts. So you could do all these kinds of relationships in WordPress core itself without the need for any external plugins or any additional custom tables. And it would all be performant is the big thing. People are doing this now, but mostly using, uh, you know, post meta. So sticking an ID in a post meta call, like the value column in the post meta table. Uh, which is really bad for performance, uh, or or they really quickly on a large scale. Yeah, it's terrible. You have experience with this recently, didn't you? With your with EDD reports or something, or what yeah, was... it's an issue, um, and it, it actually goes back to what I was mentioning with our uh, our batch processing. A lot of the e- the EDD data, due to an unfortunate decision early on, is stored in the WP Post and WP Post meta table, which makes it difficult to do large scale queries or calculations on data. Because everything gets so slow, right? Um, and the reason a lot of, and the reason for that is because the value column in the post meta table is the type is long text, which is like you do not want to be running, for example, a sum. Right. <laughs> uh, you, you shouldn't be doing. You function. shouldn't be doing queries on that or searching it or calculations like a long text. You should just be dumping that data straight out. Like that's that's it. And so it's caused a lot of issues in our reporting because we're limited on what we can do with reports. Because if we try and query a ton of the post meta and to do calculations on it, it runs into problems. Um, and that's where our batch CSV processing came into play because now we can, because of the fact that we can do everything in batches, even though it can take a while, if we have to break things into 10,000 little tiny queries, we can in order to extract the data. And this is going to lead us into a lot better reporting in the future because it will we will take the same infrastructure that we have with the batch export and use it to build, say, batch reporting. So when we go to build a graph, 
right now, we when you load the page, we just run a whole bunch of queries and we build the graph dynamically. What could very likely happen in the future is you'll load a graph. You'll say, okay, this is the data I want, this date range, these statuses, this these parameters. We will then run a batch processing to go build that data set. And then once we have the data set, we present it. This leads us back to this, back to the terms tax and taxonomy stuff because of what you were starting to mention about post-relationships. Yeah. It's interesting what you just described because, you know, early on you you made that decision largely because you didn't want to create additional tables or columns in in the standard WordPress schema because it's not really the WordPress way of doing things, right? It doesn't really fit into WordPress core. That's a good reason not to do it. I think uh, it is. I think it is also. It is a good reason to a degree. Yeah. It is also extremely naive. Right. But which I found after the fact. Right. But imagine, you know, if in the future WordPress has a proper mechanism for 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 creating those relationships properly, you know, it's going to alleviate a lot of those performance problems. Absolutely. Due to people just trying to fit things into the WordPress schema. Right. So, I, I I love the idea of moving. WordPress core in the direction of having a full database layer and API that is designed to fit data in instead of, I guess what, what I, what I mean by that, like right now, it's so easy to go create a custom post type, drop some post meta in and just be like, Hey, great. It works. Yeah. And it's for, almost, for you. It's, <laughs> it's too easy is the problem because it means that, you do this, um, and and everybody starts here. You you do this, and you say, "Awesome, it worked," without stepping back and thinking about the consequences of that, uh, which is it's very common. And it's not. I mean, everybody goes through this, and honestly, it you don't usually have a reason to think about the consequences until you have experienced those consequences. And so, if WordPress core makes these changes to the database tables and makes it possible for us to build these better relationships with custom data that's going to be awesome right i think i think another thing that that nason mentioned was taxonomy metadata was the other thing so like meta so in uh, taxonomy or term right now really just has a title and a slug i believe and so you can't really attribute any extra information to it so that'll be cool if you can create you know additional bits of data that you can associate with. Yeah, I, I think there's a discussion of even having a table for term meta. So kind of like we have post meta and user meta, we would have a term meta table. Um, right. When you have those good relationships could be very, very valuable. Have you ever done custom term meta right now? Uh, I don't think I have, no. <laughs> it's kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, you, you stored an options table or your own custom database table. Gross. It, it's, it's actually kind of funny. It's... I wrote a blog post on it two and a half, three years ago for a tutorial on like how to create custom term meta. And the idea was like, if you just want to create one or two little things that relate to a specific term, for example, at the time when I wrote it, I was actually doing some contract work for a guy that wanted to automatically password protect any post filed in a particular category. And so I created quote unquote term meta 
that contained the password for that. And then when that password was, when, when you tried to view a post that was in that category, it would ask you for the password and then you would enter the password. Basically it worked the same way that the post password does, but it was for any post in that category. And so I created the, I wrote this tutorial on it and it was, the idea was based around like, let's do something really basic. Let's have one value for a couple of terms. Here's how you can do it. And it is the most commented post on my website or very close to it. And every single week, there are new comments coming in from people trying to create metadata for like hundreds or thousands of terms, doing all this advanced stuff. And in a way, like it's kind of cool because it showed there was a need. In another way, I I kick myself every time a comment comes in for writing that damn tutorial. Right. Why? Because it's just like a bad way. Because it's not. It. Because it's really not a good the way that I presented it, which is just is creating an option in the options database that's something like term underscore the ID of the term underscore like a unique key is not something that we want to encourage people to do. Right, right. And so I kick myself when I see people trying to do a whole bunch because I was helping to promote this. And instead, I at some point, I would like to go back and maybe like revisit it and say, hey, okay, if this is something that we're going to do, let's yeah. Let's actually go in. Let's create a true. Let's create a table, and let's really do this well. Um, yeah. But you know, it takes time. Yeah. Exactly. Well, should we wrap it up? There's one other thing I want to throw out real quick, which is if you have a plugin that is affected by term splitting, and you have or have not taken care of the issue of term splitting in your plugin, I would love to hear about it. If you had something break, I would love to hear about it. If everything worked great, I think we'd love to hear about it. So for anybody, if you have anything or, or just any questions about it, shoot us an email, post a comment, go post a comment on the make blogs. We'll have links to all of the posts on there. Um, it's a really cool and fascinating change in WordPress. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, I guess I'll say another uh, thank you to DreamHost for sponsoring this episode. Absolutely. Thanks, and, guys. And maybe should we... Give the WP Ninjas a shout out as well. Oh yeah, WP Ninjas always need a shout out. They're a bunch of awesome guys over there at WP Ninjas doing some really cool things, and uh, they've been kind enough to permanently sponsor Apply Filters, and so their 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 continued sponsorship, along with the sponsorship of of DreamHost and anyone else, is really appreciated because it's what allows us to bring you the show. For sure. So thanks for chiming in, everyone. Thanks everybody. <laughs>